Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 173 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Today's main story, Sweden shocked the world this spring when the government decided to keep businesses mostly open and impose far fewer restrictions on movement to stem the COVID-19 outbreak. But the controversial strategy may have paid off. Was it worth the death toll. But first, here's what happened in virus news today. India passed Mexico in COVID-19 fatalities, making it the country with the third largest death toll in the world. The country is fast becoming the new virus epicenter, behind only the U.S. and Brazil in both deaths and infections. The virus has swept India's vast rural areas. The grim milestone comes a day after the country set another record, reporting the most daily infections of any country. It's 78,761 new infections surpassed a previous high set by the U.S. In Uganda, the coronavirus outbreak is spreading quickly. Healthcare facilities in the capital, Kampala, have run out of bed capacity, according to the newspaper New Vision. The newspaper cited Monica Musinero, the presidential advisor on the outbreak, as saying the city is racing toward uncontrollable transmission. Finally, in the U.S., most people see the vaccine process as politicized. According to a new survey from STAT and the Harris Poll, 78% of Americans worry that the COVID-19 vaccine approval process is being driven more by politics than science. 72% of Republicans and 82% of Democrats expressed such concerns. The results underscore speculation that President Donald Trump may pressure the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to approve or authorize emergency use of at least one vaccine prior to the election, but before testing has been fully completed, according to STAT. And now for today's main story. Recently, Sweden won praise from one of the World Health Organization's six special envoys on COVID-19, Dr. David Navarro. Navarro said the key to a sustainable coronavirus strategy is trust, and highlighted Sweden as a case in point. The Nordic nation imposed far fewer restrictions on movement than other countries, and instead relied on Swedes to act responsibly and embrace the guidelines laid out by the country's health authorities. But the country's strategy has been controversial. 
Sweden's COVID-19 death rate is considerably higher than in many other countries, at 57 per 100,000 people. But the pace of new infections and deaths has slowed markedly since the end of June. I talked to Stockholm-based reporter Niklas Rolander about how the strategy was devised and where the country has gone right and wrong in fighting the virus. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. What has been Sweden's strategy to battle COVID-19 since March? The strategy has been uh, based on mainly on voluntary measures from, from the public. So uh, Sweden has taken some legal decisions, such as to ban public gatherings of more than 50 people, but it has largely avoided more stringent lockdowns than that many other countries have imposed. And instead, it's urged its citizens to take responsibility themselves, to keep a distance, to work from home if they can, and to stay home if they have any symptoms uh, of uh, COVID. Schools have remained open largely. Uh, Shops have been open. Restaurants have been open with some restrictions when it comes to how many people they let in and the distances between uh, patrons. And the argument has been that these more loose uh, restrictions are more sustainable in the long run than a lockdown where everyone is forced to stay at home. But Sweden has uh, always made the argument that this is something that we'll have to live with for a long time and therefore it's better to have measures that are sustainable, that it that are possible to keep going for uh, for a long time. So what have been some of the major criticisms of Sweden's strategy? I think domestically, the critics have focused a lot on the death rates, which are at the moment about 10 times higher than in Norway, five times higher than in Denmark. So it's... Uh, from that perspective, there is uh, definitely a cause for concern uh, about what what Sweden's strategy has meant for uh, death rates. Critics also say that Sweden could have bought valuable time uh, earlier in the pandemic by adopting stricter measures to learn more about how the virus behaves and develop better methods for treatment that could have saved lives uh, if we had just delayed some of the transmission we had early on. There's also the claim that uh, Swedish public health experts have underestimated the role that asymptomatic spread has played in the transmission of the disease. Uh, And that has underpinned some of the decisions that Sweden has made. Now, I'm interested, by keeping schools open, many businesses open, what has been 
perhaps the impact of this strategy on Sweden's economy? The impact has been slightly less bad than uh, comparable countries. It's not a huge difference, though. We still have pretty uh, uh, historic drop in GDP. And Sweden's economy is very reliant on uh, exports. So, so no matter how how much better we're doing in the domestic economy, we will be hurt by by a decrease in in international demand. So, it may not have been uh, uh, as as different as you might think it would would be uh, from from other countries, but still slightly less affected than than other countries. You know, looking to the last few months, say the summer months, there has been seemingly some good news coming out of Sweden with lower daily death rates or lower reports of new cases. Does this perhaps account for changing global opinion about whether or not Sweden had the correct strategy all along? Uh, definitely that's contributed. Uh, I think there's probably two factors behind that. One is that we've seen a rapid decrease in transmission, number of cases, number of cases in ICU, uh, and the number of deaths as well. Uh, at the same time, I think people are obviously looking at Sweden for uh, clues on how to approach this pandemic more long term. And that's also the case that's been made by, for example, WHO uh, experts that uh, after this phase of uh, very strict lockdowns that may or may not may not have been necessary in the early phases of the pandemic to really stem the transmission, you now need to look at something that's uh, more sustainable, that's, that you can hold on to for a longer period of time. And that's always been Sweden's uh, approach. So uh, Sweden is more likely to be seen as a model at this stage of the pandemic than uh, it was before. You know, taking a, a long look at Sweden's strategy over the last six months or even longer, there has always been this question of whether the intent behind this policy was to achieve herd immunity. Do you think this was part of the strategy overall, or do you think that there's much more broader factors at play? I mean, if you listen to the public health experts in Sweden, they have consistently denied that herd immunity was the aim of the strategy. They have said, while it may be the case that Sweden's strategy will lead to bigger transmission and therefore more immunity that has never been the primary target i mean some critics have questioned that and called it a stealth strategy but the official line is that herd immunity is not part of the strategy and after a few months into the pandemic i think it, it was clear to public health experts here as well that this virus wasn't really behaving in the way that previous uh, similar viruses have. So the idea that the virus would be spreading widely <clears throat> throughout society and that a large portion of the population would 
be infected within a reasonably short period of time wasn't really how this panned out. Instead, it's been more about very local outbreaks and so-called cluster transmission, which makes it much harder to reach that level of immunity in the population. And so recently, public health experts here have um, have stressed that we don't have the levels of immunity that protects us from uh, further outbreaks. Now that we're looking to the end of summer, an oncoming flu season, the start of the new school year, how is Sweden looking ahead to, say, the fall or winter um, with, with these elements kind of on the horizon? I think just as uh, in the rest of the world, we're looking forward with some trepidation. Uh, I mean, the situation right now looks pretty positive, but you shouldn't forget also that we have we still have more cases than in many other countries that had more strict lockdowns and there will be uh, local outbreaks so uh, we'll see what happens during the fall uh, and the public health authorities will publish their report on new guidelines for the fall uh, this week uh, And there may be some uh, reconsidering of uh, things like face masks, which uh, Swedish public health agency has been very skeptical of so far and have said that there may be a case for advising the use of face masks in some situations where it's uh, hard or impossible to keep a proper distance. That was Niklas Rolander. And that's it for our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, Magnus Henriksen, and me, Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Niklas Rolander. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Rick Schein and Francesca Levy. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.